Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 296 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Space 1970, Dongfang Hong 1 and Zond 8. Today, we will cover the last two significant unmanned space flights launched in 1970. I will begin with the first Chinese satellite. In 1958, the Chinese Academy of Science proposed Project 581, which included a plan to launch a satellite into space before October 1, 1959. But the project was troubled from the beginning due to China's lack of expertise in the field of rocketry. In January of 1959, Zhang Jingfu, who was in charge of the satellite research program, postponed the project to allow effort to be put into developing more basic technologies, such as sounding rockets. In December of 1964, during the Third National People's Congress, the Chinese decided to resume work on the satellite. In June 1965, the Central Special Committee made the decision to pursue development of a launch vehicle. As per the request of the Commission for Science, Technology, and Industry for National Defense, the vehicle's first stage and second stage would be based on a DF-4 long-range missile with a solid-fueled third stage to launch the satellite into orbit. In August 1968, the Central Special Committee approved the Chinese Academy of Sciences plan, which later became Project 651, also known as Dongfang Hong. As an interesting side note, there was actually a problem with the name the Chinese had selected. According to Boris Chertok's memoirs, when the first Soviet space station, Salyut 1, was under construction, its designated name was Zarya, which means dawn in Russian. When the Soviets realized that the Chinese had a space program with a similar name, Dongfang Hong, which was translated to Russian as Zarya, the Soviets renamed their space station to Salyut to avoid confusion. Dongfang Hong 1, which is translated to English as The East is Red 1, became the first space satellite of the People's Republic of China. The primary purpose of the Dongfang-1 satellite was to perform tests of satellite technology, take readings of the ionosphere and atmosphere, and finally, as a propaganda tool. Dongfang-Hong was developed under the direction of Kwai Hu-Sin, the dean of the Chinese Academy of Space Technology. At the time, a total of five identical satellites were created. The Academy planned to launch Dongfang Hong 1, then two reentry satellites, and finally two geosynchronous orbit communication satellites. Dongfang Hong was unique because engineers installed a music player that would broadcast from orbit the communist Chinese song titled. The East is Red. The broadcast was over ultra-short wave and a special copper antenna membrane was selected to overcome the temperature ranges in space of 100 to minus 100 degrees C. 
Now, I will attempt to describe Dongfang Hong 1. The satellite was similar in shape to a symmetrical 72-faced polyhedron. At 173 kilograms, it was heavier than the first satellites of other countries that had launched thus far. It had a diameter of approximately 1 meter. In space, it would spin 120 times per minute for stabilization. The outer surface was coated with a processed aluminum alloy for temperature control. The main body of the spear had four ultra-short-wave whip antennas of at least two meters in length. The lower section was connected to a stage containing a rocket motor. Of course, to reach Earth orbit, Dongfang Hong needed a carrier rocket. In this case, it was the Long March 1, also known as Changzing 1. It was the first member of China's Long March rocket family. As I mentioned briefly before, development of the Long March began in January 65 as the 7th Ministry of Machinery Industry issued a design task. Long March 1 was based on the Dongfeng 4 or DF-4 Chinese Intercontinental Ballistic Missile. The two-stage liquid-fueled DF-4 was modified by adding a third stage in order to place the satellite into the desired orbit. The first stage was 18 meters long with a diameter of 2.25 meters. Its fully loaded mass was 65,250 kilograms. It used four liquid-fueled engines called YF-1A with a total thrust capacity of 1,214 kilonewtons. The burn time was 130 seconds. The second stage was 7.5 meters long with the same diameter as the first. Its fully loaded mass was 13,550 kilograms. It used one smaller liquid-fueled engine called the YF-3A with a total thrust capacity of 320 kilonewtons. The burn time was 126 seconds. The third stage was 4.5 meters long with a diameter of 0.77 meters. Its fully loaded mass was 400 kilograms. It used one solid fuel engine called FGO2 with a total thrust capacity of 181 kilonewtons. The burn time was 38 seconds. The third stage was initially tested on two launches aboard T-7A sounding rockets to prove it would ignite at high altitude. Both successful flights were performed in August 1968. So, the Long March 1 was basically a DF-4 intercontinental ballistic missile with a solid-fueled third stage and a fairing for the satellite. With this configuration, the Long March 1 was 30 meters tall and it weighed a total of 81,570 kilograms, and it was capable of placing a payload of 300 kilograms in low Earth orbit. Long March 1 did not have a long career. In fact, it had a total of just three flights. The second flight was Dongfang Hong 1. The rocket was only operational during 1970 and 71. In April 1970, Dongfang Hong 1 was transported to the Zhuquan Satellite Launch Center by train. 
the Chinese took nothing for granted for security with Dong Fang Hong 1. They stationed armed guards along the train route between every two power poles. All right, let's move on to the launch. On April 24, 1970, at 9.35 local time, the Long March 1 rocket with Dong Fang Hong 1 lifted off from the Jiquan Satellite Launch Center, placing the satellite in an elliptical orbit with a perigee of 442 kilometers and an apogee of 2,046 kilometers and a period of 110 minutes. Dong Fang Hong had a design life of only 20 days. During that time, it transmitted telemetry data and space readings, and of course, it transmitted the song, The East is Red, around the world. Here's what it sounded like. May 14, 1970, Dong Fang Hong 1's transmissions stopped. With the successful launch of Dong Fang Hong 1, China became the fifth country after the Soviet Union, United States, France, and Japan to independently launch a satellite. Although Dong Fang Hong was launched 13 years after Sputnik 1, its mass exceeded the combined mass of the first satellites of the other four countries. After this launch, Kwai Hu Sin proposed to the Chinese government that China should develop a manned space program, and he submitted a manned space undertaking report. Chairman Mao Zedong himself signed approved to the report. As of 2015, Dong Fang Hong-1 was still in Earth orbit. Now let's move on to the second topic, Zond 8. Zond, meaning probe in Russian, was the name given to two distinct series of the Soviet unmanned space program, undertaken from 1964 to 1970. The first series was based on the 3MV planetary probe and was intended to gather information about nearby planets. But this episode is about the second series of Zon spacecraft, of which Zon 8 was a formal member. The second series included Zons 4 through 8, and it was meant to be a precursor to manned circumlunar loop flights. The project was initiated in 1965 to compete with the United States in the race to the moon. Before we launch into Zon 8, we need a little background on the Zon program. 
Beginning with Zon 4 in 1968, the Soviets launched a series of unmanned Soyuz 7K L1 capsules to go around the moon and return to Earth in preparation for sending cosmonauts to the moon. Zon 4 was the first launch of the Zond circumlunar program. Unfortunately, Zon 4 was less than successful when its guidance system failed while returning to Earth which meant that it would have landed outside Soviet territory. Instead of letting that happen, the Soviets used the self-destruct to blow up the capsule instead of risking that it would be recovered by another nation. Zon 5 had the same mission as Zon 4, except it took tortoises along for the ride around the moon. During the return flight, there was another guidance system problem, and the Soyuz landed in the Indian Ocean instead of Kazakhstan. The ballistic re-entry of Zon 5 would probably have killed human beings, but the tortoises did survive, until the Soviets dissected them. Zon 6 had a very similar goal as Zon 5, except this time the spacecraft carried scientific probes, including cosmic ray and micrometeoroid detectors, photography equipment, and a biological payload including flies, bacteria, and turtles. However, a few hours before re-entry, a faulty O-ring rubber gasket caused the cabin to depressurize, killing all the animal test subjects aboard. Zon 6's parachutes also deployed too early, and it crashed in Kazakhstan, near the designated landing area. Zond 7 had a simpler goal than Zond 6. This time the goal was further studies of the moon and circumlunar space to obtain color photography of the Earth and the moon from varying distances and to flight test the spacecraft systems. After going around the moon, Zond 7 successfully made a soft landing in Kazakhstan. In fact, a human crew could have survived the mission. Which brings us to Zond 8. Zond 8 was the last of the Soviet efforts to fly around the moon and back to Earth in preparation for sending cosmonauts to the moon. Before we begin the flight, let's talk a little bit about the Zond 8 hardware. As mentioned before, Zond 4 through 8 used the unmanned version of the manned Soyuz 7KL-1. The 7K-L1 was based on the Soyuz 7K-OK, except the orbital module and the docking hardware was removed, so the payload was now in the descent module. The orbital module was replaced with a support cone and a high-gain parabolic antenna. Also, the reserve parachute was removed. The descent module was big enough to carry two cosmonauts, in addition to photographic equipment, the spacecraft also carried solar wind collector packages and an imaging system. The launch vehicle for Zond 8 was the Proton-K carrier rocket with a Block D upper stage. It was designed and built at Vladimir Chalomi's Design Bureau. It was basically the same rocket we covered a few weeks ago in episode 291, so I won't go into as much detail here. The baseline Proton-K was a three-stage rocket 
It was about 50 meters high with a diameter of 7.4 meters. It could be configured with three or four stages. It was just powerful enough to send a 7K L1 capsule around the moon without going into lunar orbit. The 7K L1 would use a free return trajectory to return from the moon. The first stage of the Proton K consisted of a central oxidizer tank and six outrigger fuel tanks. This separated as one piece from the second stage, which was attached by means of a lattice structure interstage. The second stage ignited prior to first stage separation, and the top of the first stage was insulated to ensure that it retained its structural integrity until separation. The third stage was powered by one RD0210 engine and four veneer nozzles with common systems. The veneers provided steering, eliminating the need for gimbling of the main engine. They also aided stage separation and acted as ullage motors. The third stage guidance system was also used to control the first and second stage early in the flight. The Proton-K used for Zond 8 had an upper stage to boost the payload to a circumlunar orbit. On October 20, 1970, Zond 8 was successfully launched from the Baikonur Cosmodrome and began its journey to the moon. After a mid-course correction on October 22nd, at a distance of 250,000 kilometers from Earth, Zon 8 reached the moon without any apparent problems. Looping around its target on October 24th, at a range of 1,200 kilometers, the spacecraft took black-and-white photographs of the lunar surface during two separate sessions. After two mid-course corrections on the return leg, Zond 8 flew a return over the Earth's northern hemisphere instead of the standard southern approach profile. This allowed Soviet ground control stations to maintain near-continuous contact with the spacecraft. But all was not well with Zond 8. The guidance system malfunctioned on the return trip, and the spacecraft performed a simple ballistic instead of a guided re-entry into Earth's atmosphere. The Soyuz descent module splashed down safely in the Indian Ocean on October 27th, about 730 kilometers southeast of the Chagos Islands. In conclusion, although Zond 8 did not enjoy the complete success of Zond 7, it did loop around the moon and return to Earth. It took high-quality photos of Earth and the moon and conducted measurements of the lunar environment. Even with the guidance system failure, Zon 8 managed to splash down safely in the Indian Ocean. But its time had passed. The United States had already landed on the moon twice. So a Soviet circumlunar mission was now viewed by many as too little, too late.
Salutations from Texoma. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode number 296 of the Space Rocket History Podcast entitled Space 1970, Dongfang Hong 1, and Zond 8. Hope you enjoyed the episode. It was a pleasure to bring it to you. First of all, sincere apologies for mispronunciation of the Chinese names in this episode. And there was also a thunderstorm outside while I was recording part of this episode. I'm sorry if you heard thunder or rain hitting the roof of the camper. If you're looking for old episodes of the podcast, the first 126 are available on the Archive podcast. Search for Space Rocket History Archive. It should be available on all podcatchers. Now I'd like to give credit to my sources for this episode, the Planetary Society, NASA Science Solar System Exploration, Wikipedia, NASA Space Science Data Coordinated Archive, Rockets and People by Boris Chertok, and the Space Facts website. As usual, I had a few afterthoughts. The music you heard at the beginning of this episode was the anthem for the People's Republic of China. So I I played that in honor of them launching their first satellite. What did you think about that song Dongfang Hong 1 played for 20 days while orbiting? That was an actual recording of what the satellite broadcasted. It was definitely unusual hearing a song played from space. It it gave me somewhat of an eerie feeling. But I think it was a pretty good propaganda tool. Moving on, do we have any volunteers to ride to the moon in a Zond 7K L1 spacecraft? (laughs) You have about a 50-50 chance of making it back alive. Now, personally, I think I'm going to pass. (laughs) Wasn't it strange how they could not get that guidance system to work consistently? And finally, they stopped the program. But, of course, it was... Pretty late, anyway. The United States had already landed twice on the moon, so it seemed somewhat too little too late, like I mentioned in the episode. Okay, next week we will begin our study of Apollo 14, and I am really looking forward to it. Okay, the pictures for this episode are available on the website, spacerockethistory.com. Please check those out, especially for the pictures you need from my uh, verbal description that were, I'm sure, not adequate. For those of you who are enjoying the content provided here and have not donated yet in 2019, please consider supporting the podcast if you're financially able. You may have noticed that we don't have any commercials or ad revenue. That's because we are entirely listener-supported. To support the podcast, go to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com. Click on the orange Donate button to make a one-time donation or the Patreon link to make small monthly donations. All donors are rewarded with their name on the donors page at the level they choose to donate, as well as they are entered into a drawing for the weekly prize. I was pleased to receive nine contributions to support the podcast over the past two weeks. Steve P. donated at the Orion level. Andrew R. donated at the Apollo level and earned his satellite emoji. Kyle M. donated at the Soyuz level and earned his rocket emoji. 
Todd M. from Florida donated at the Mercury level. Robert N. from Arlington, Virginia donated at the Mercury level and earned his moon emoji. Ian M. donated at the Vostok level. Craig H. from Australia donated at the Vostok level and earned his satellite emoji. Dallas K. pledged on Patreon at the Orion level. And Craig R. from Michigan pledged on Patreon at the Orion level with satellite emoji. We are at 218 Patreons. We're exactly the same as where we were at the beginning of the year. So we've lost some and we've gained some and it's balanced out to about 218. Of course, we would like to reach the goal of 300 by the end of 2019 and that's what we're going for. Our total donors for 2019 have reached 303 with a goal of reaching 600 in 2019. For the 303 of you who have already donated for 2019, I certainly appreciate it. And this week we're giving away the SRH logo magnet to one of our lucky donors. Mrs. SRH randomly selected Stephen Gerads. Stephen Gerads. If you would email me, Mike, at spacerockethistory.com and tell me your address, I will mail this out to you. Okay, folks, that's all I have for this week. I'll try to have episode 297 posted by next Thursday. T-4 until episode 300. So long for now.